Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. This is episode 220. Lots going on here over at TV TV Industries. I just put out my second zine in the Voyagers series. So this is a zine that has pages from my journals in Morocco. While I'm traveling, I'm always writing. But something that I also do is I have people that I meet on my travels write things in my journal, you know, pick up pictures to little pieces of art, things that will fit if I paste them in there. And so that's what this zine is. It's about 30-ish pages of writing and pictures and some things from guests that I've met uh, from a month on the road in Morocco. So I'm really proud of this. It's the first time that I've really published on my own some of my writing. I've got that article I wrote for Tempo, and then I have the last zine, but this is really more, uh, I guess, personal stuff. And then just like a lot of stream of conscious stuff that I jot down into, into, my, into my journal. So if you are interested in this, I sell it only at cost. So I'm not looking to profit. I'm just trying to cover the cost of producing it and the cost of shipping it. You can send me an email at thevoyagesoftimvetter at gmail.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram or on Facebook or something like that and we'll, we'll set it up so that you can get a copy. Also, the last episode that I did with Legacies of War, that conversation is up on YouTube now. So I have a few older audio files that I've put on YouTube, but that's the first actual podcast conversation that I've thrown up there. I'm going to try to do that a bit more. So that's something cool to look forward to. But as with any of these platforms, you know, liking, subscribing, all that stuff helps kind of play the game of, of getting more eyes on, on the podcast. So if you could do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. So go check that out. All right. My guest for today is Christina Chung. And she is an incredible, incredible illustrator. This is one of the things that I always marvel at and feel like a twinge of jealousy when I see people that are so good at this because I'm like, ah, I would love to be able to do that. And I don't know, the things in my head, uh, they just don't translate when I try to get my fingers to, to, to draw them or to illustrate them. But her work is so, so, so cool. Uh, I'm I don't know if I could do it justice, so I think that you should go to Instagram or go to the show notes for this episode and pull up her Instagram. And you'll see that she creates these incredibly vivid and creative, magical worlds within her images. Like if I didn't see the captions that she wrote for them, my brain immediately starts creating a story around these pictures. And I think that's like a really powerful and, and magical and, and special ability to have. I mean, some of these on a public, it reminds, it's like, it reminds me of like a Philip K. Dick novel or like Avatar or these worlds that could exist on other planets. It's, it's really, it's really cool stuff. She's also done some work for the Star Wars universe. Uh, she drew Jane Goodall. Um, who else did I have here? Oh, Frida Kahlo. Yeah, all sorts of really cool stuff. So um, it sounds like she's got some really exciting work coming up and she's also been featured in some of the biggest publications and newspapers and things like that around the world. I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than Star Wars and the New York Times and things like that. So um all those things are really great, but the reason I had her on is because I, I, I love the artwork. So I think you will as well, and I would encourage you to go to her website and to go to the Instagram to check that out. In the show notes for this episode, I also have a link to my Patreon. It's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter, and you get some cool kickbacks. One of the things that the Patreon supporters will get is that Voyagers Volume 2 zine that just came out. They got the first one and stickers and shirts and stuff like that too over time. So uh, in my last trip through Kentucky and North Carolina, I picked some stuff up and my Patreon supporters got some of the stuff that I picked up along the way, like the alpaca products from the alpaca farm. So if you're able to help 
in that manner, please do so. If not, again, just spreading the word and leaving a like or review and things like that are really good for it. But for now, let's focus our attention on the conversation with Christina Chung. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. This is a, a real pleasure. I get to talk to people from all over the world that do really interesting things and, and people who deeply inspire me. And sometimes, very selfishly, I get to just talk to somebody that I think is doing something really cool. And, uh, you know, in the Venn diagram of, of interests, you, you overlap on all those things. So, uh, yeah, again, just thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. If I read correctly because I've been uh, studying up on your work. Did you move around a bit when you were growing up? Yeah. Um, so I'm American. I was born in California. Don't remember it all because I was raised in Seattle. Um, and then I moved to Singapore with my family when I was 12. Uh, I stayed there until I was 18 and came back to the U.S. for college. So it's been... Uh, a bit of a circle. <laughs> hmm. um, and my parents are from Taiwan and Hong Kong. So uh, there's a lot in the mix there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I was so, yeah. I think a lot of, I can't speak creatively to the degree that you're creative because you are a real master at your craft. But obviously we're all influenced by things from our upbringing and it, it shapes our interests. Um I was wondering if you took any particular influence from each of those places when you were growing up? Yeah, um, I feel like just based on my background, I kind of view the world through a couple of different lenses. Um, for one, being the child of immigrants in America, um, but then also becoming kind of a third culture kid and moving to a country in which neither of my parents have um, any roots and experiencing a new culture that way. Um, I definitely, as a creative and as a visual person, am drawn to, for example, different colors or patterns in like traditional fabrics, stuff like that. Um, but just in the way that it's, uh, actively influences my work. I feel like it's more just the perspectives that I have. Um, and as a commercial illustrator, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm able to express that mm. all the time um, because I don't necessarily have control of the narratives in my work sometimes, although I can say no if I'm not a fan of them. <laughs> um, but when a, a job does come along that is specific to an aspect of my perspective, it's always very special. Um, and I'm, it's definitely something I pay tribute to in my personal work when I do have the time to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I guess maybe I should, for the sake of people's understanding, say two things. Um, I think if you're listening on an only audio format, you should pull up your Instagram account because I'll reference certain works and it would be helpful to to have an understanding and a visual of what we're actually talking about. But I'll also like distinguish a bit between, I think what you're talking about, like, and I'll give an example. So commercial work, let's say you're doing something for Star Wars and you're drawing Ray, like, or you're illustrating Ray, Ray is going to look like Ray. Um, yeah, exactly. But in terms of your, so I think of it like this. When I'm looking at your work, there's a really strong storytelling aspect. And to me, there's two components of that. There's um, the actual story you're trying to tell with the image and then the actual image itself, if that makes sense. So I was wondering yeah. um, about your particular influences from the world of like movies and books and media mm -hmm. on both the stories you're telling and the actual imagery and style of illustration that you're doing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so very cliche, but I will say that I'm a huge Studio Ghibli fan. <laughs> um, just in the way that, you know, they create such vivid worlds that, you know, we've never seen before and you're very drawn in. Um, I'm also a huge fan of sci-fi um, and adventure movies. Um, and cin cinematography and films in general. 
as I said, um, I'm a very visual person just uh, in terms of what I'm drawn to. And I have a great appreciation for storytelling as well. And something that I feel like illustration is able to overlap with film is that it's a visual art and it's very heavy in terms of telling a story or having a narrative that's important to convey. So I personally am drawn to art in many different forms, just in the way that um, art can draw you into a completely different world or make you feel a certain emotion. So my hope is always to create a reaction uh, from my viewers. Um, and I wouldn't say that I necessarily have very specific uh, things that inspire me in film or, or comics, stuff like that. Um, I have a lot of interest though, and there's definitely things that overlapped there. I very late in life started reading Ursula Le Guin last year. Like I just mm -hmm. started crushing books. I think a lot of people have during the pandemic. And I mean, she creates these like vast universes. Uh, so she has a series called the Earthsea series. And it's even super helpful that she like draws diagrams of, of the maps because yeah. these worlds are so intricate. But to me, like that is so creative to have multiple series where you've created these full universes. And I can see some commonalities amongst your work. And I was wondering if you ever look at it like almost like the IP of Christina, right? Like the like a, a connected universe at all across your work that the characters are living in. I don't know if that's if that's too out there. I, I think if in any way it can be similar, it's more that I'm creating microcosms <laughs> rather than universes. Um, but they're all you know, I definitely want to create a world that people are drawn to and something that's always really interesting to play with, with the art of illustration versus, you know, where it can be comparable to photography being used in a magazine or a newspaper is that you have a lot more space to envision a different, you know, visual rather than having to take a photo though, of course you can compose it however you want, but I have a lot more leeway to tell the story that I've been hired to tell, mm. but also tell it in a way that's fun for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's like a ratio, but can you tell me how the, the sort of the, the business nature of that works? If you're doing a commercial work and it's not for a specific IP, like again, like star Wars, mm -hmm. um, how much do people sort of trust you in the body of work you've already done and say, like, I know what you're capable of. Here's our basic idea. Run with it. Um, versus like, um, this is specifically what we want and we need you to make that. Yeah. Uh, it definitely depends from job to job. I think for the starting point, because I have been working for a while, if an art director is looking to hire me, they're able to look at my body of work and, kind of have an idea of what they would get. Um, and if you look at my work, it's pretty obvious that I tend to be a bit more conceptual rather than, you know, drawing real life scenes. Um, I like to kind of twist uh, the visuals a little bit and rather than going for a straightforward approach. Uh, it's just more fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and in terms of how much direction I get, it really depends on the client. Um, sometimes they'll give me the content and say, run with it, which was, it can be fun, but also having complete freedom is also in a way um, restrictive, if that makes sense, um, rather than having some sort of direction. Hmm. Uh, some art directors who tend to be the people that I work with in terms of clients um, will come to me with some sort of idea and then want my interpretation of that. It also depends on what industry I'm working in. Um, for example, editorial, I usually get more leeway versus if I were to do an advertising campaign, they usually know pretty specifically what they want, um, but they do want my interpretation and my style on top of that. So it depends. I, I definitely have a range of creative freedom um, from job to job. Okay. 
I mean, th there's so much. And so I, what I pulled up here is from your post from December 9th, 2018, if anybody's only listening to audio. And oh man, like this stuff is so wonderful. Like, so in a lot of ways, it does remind me of, of comics and would make me think that you, you possibly grew up reading a lot of comics. But I look at something like this and I think like, wow, that's like, an image that could be straight out of like the words of like a Philip K. Dick novel. Um, or even like, I might be just totally missing here. And, but I have very limited experience being in Singapore. Um, and I, I don't mean this any, in any sort of disrespectful way to Singapore, but it, it, there, there are aspects of Sim Singapore that feel a little bit like a uh, surveillance state almost. Like there are a lot of cameras. There's like, you know, you go down certain streets and it'll say like, this is how many crimes have been recorded this week. And it feels a little futuristic. It feels a little bit like a, like a Philip K. Dick novel. Um, so I, I don't know, like creatively, are you looking for people to sort of get it? Or are you happy for people to see something that you're you're creating and feeling like a range of emotions or a range of, of different connections? Um, I definitely, in a lot of ways, am selfish as an <laughs> artist. <laughs> I'm looking to have fun. <laughs> ah. um, but it's definitely a balance. And it, one of the differences between being a fine artist, for example, versus a commercial illustrator is that I'm balancing the wants and needs of a client who have hired me to do a certain job. Um, but for my mental health and my enjoyment, I also want to be creating something that I can have fun doing um, and that I hopefully in some aspects would have been doing otherwise. Um, so... What's really fun about illustration and why I love it so much is just that every single job can be different. Um, I'm given a problem to solve visually by the clients and it's, it can be very stressful, at least in the beginning. But once I crack that code and I found a way to, in a roundabout way, tell the story that they want me to tell, and a lot of times that may be a topic that I don't really understand. Um, for example, the medical field or um, stuff about Wall Street. It really doesn't make sense to me. I'm very much an artist. <laughs> um, it's also a way for me to kind of digest and understand the content, just kind of reframing it and telling it from my point of view. So yes, it's definitely my goal to have a visual where a reader um, can come across an article um, or a piece and understand what that's about, at least in some aspects, by looking at my work, because that is the ultimate goal. But I do also hope that they can feel something just mm. by looking at the world that I've created, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. There's something interesting in there, I think, that you said that I just made a connection to. And it's like, I always get, super probably overzealous in some of these conversations talking to people because the work that they're doing to me at least appears that like there's no they're not necessarily hmm, how do I word this like part of like a system of work where there's like the man and there's like the board meetings and the the sort of draining aspect of work that a lot of us experience and maybe that's just my experience and that's why I get so like excited when I hear people doing like, wow, that, that you're doing something in the, in the world of creativity. Uh, but at the same time, like I had read this article with a, a woman who bakes in New York that I was interested in talking to. And she had said something at some point where it was just like, yeah, but like my, my work is still work. And there's still days where like, I don't want to work and I'm tired and I'm exhausted. I'm hurt or I'm this or I'm that. Uh, so I'm wondering, like, how how often do you get to do illustrations just for you? And is is there any th sort of, like, therapeutic aspect of that for you? Mm -hmm. There definitely is. Um, and I kind of touched on it in my previous answer in that it, it's very unique, I feel like, being a commercial illustrator because, yes, it, it's still work. Mm. Um but what I've done is 
turned my passion into a monetizable job. So there's definitely a balance of two worlds there. Um, I may not always be particularly interested in the job in terms of the content, but the control that I do have is how can I turn something that's a bit dry into something that I can enjoy, be it uh, just in terms of the technique and just like creating something beautiful, or can I turn this into a metaphor that turns into a piece that I would enjoy? Mm. Does that make sense? Um, and I don't have as much time as I would like to work on completely selfish personal work. Um, but at the same time, having worked for so long as a commercial illustrator, it's definitely hard to work on things that are just for me and not having any direction whatsoever, because I'm mm. very used to that. And, you know, jumping through hoops to get to the end goal. If I'm given a completely clean canvas, sometimes I don't know what to do with it. Um, and the difference between creating personal work and client work for me is oftentimes I'll feel compelled to express something in my personal work versus in the client work, I'm solving problems. Um, so they're both fun for me in different ways. Um, and luckily I don't have too many days where I sit down and just hate what I'm doing. <laughs> I do have a little bit of control over that. So it's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite comics and, and superheroes to read is Dr. Strange. Uh, I don't know if the, the right word is magical realism. I mean, it's maybe it's more just like straight fantasy, but like there's elements of reality mixed in with like all sorts of wild multi-universe type of creatures and things like that. Um, I don't know why, but maybe I do know why, but this, this image I'm sharing from uh, your post from November 20th, 2020 kind of reminds me of that because He's often, and if anybody saw like the Doctor Strange movie that came out, um, he's often talking to these way larger than life entities, like entire universes. And you have this, um, I don't know, almost like a sorcerer type of, of person in this. And it reminded me of that, like just a little person standing before this godlike creature. Um, so I, I had so many thoughts looking at this Um but the the first was I, I think that the, your your artwork would translate so beautifully to um, a a different format I guess like I would love to see this in a video in a movie like I would you know I, I want to know what's going on here um, so I was thinking about that like if you've ever had an aspiration to um, do visual storytelling in video format. And also for, for a piece like this, from like its initial inception to just this little thought seed in your mind to a finished product, I'm sure it varies across project, but like how long would something like this take from that, you know, from, from, from birth to completed project? Yeah. Um, I would love to have some kind of involvement in film or, um, I personally have been playing around with animation just to breathe a different type of life into my work, but it's very hard and very time consuming. So that's just something that I've been playing with uh, on my own. Um, but I would love to, you know, branch out into different um, arenas. Um, and I, I think that in illustration, there is the opportunity to do that. So Yes, I'm just putting that out into the universe. I would love to do that. Mm. Um, and to answer your second question, um, yeah, as you said, it definitely depends based on the project. Um, this piece in particular is a book cover. So um, from getting the job, I personally, though it's not necessary, I like to read through the manuscript that I'm given. So I'll, I'll factor in that time. Um but it's also um, getting the prompts. I'll do sketches, sketches get approved or I'm asked to do revisions on them. And then I'll take the sketches to final. And then there's another round of whether it gets approved or 
if there's any adjustments that need to be made. For book covers, that process tends to be a couple of months in total. Um, for stuff like magazines and newspapers, that is a lot shorter. It can be anything from um, a couple of days to a week. Um, and then I've worked on advertising jobs too, and that can be another couple months as well. So it really depends. And it's definitely been a process in finding a way to work that can be applied to these different timeframes. Hmm. Has the, I mean, I, I'm sure the answer is yes, but has the p- pandemic taken any specific toll on your work in, in creativity? Um, yes. In terms of just the business side of it, not really because mm. I conduct all of my work through the internet in terms of uh, communicating with my clients um, and getting the jobs in particular. Um, the social aspect of meeting people in the industry definitely has been taken away, although there are workarounds that we found, um, as I'm sure you know, with you know, Zoom workshops or talks, um, that has been a new thing that also has been new in terms of uh, talking to clients. What used to be an email is often now uh, a video call for yeah. some reason. Um, so in the business side, not so much. Um, and during the course of the pandemic has actually been the most successful period of my career. Uh, somehow. (laughs) But in terms of, you know, mental health, it's been a lot to deal with. Um, Trying, as I'm sure it is for a lot of people, you know, trying to be a functioning, working human being uh, in this kind of world has been a lot. Um, So in that aspect, yes, my creative process and my work has changed. Um, It's been a journey, (laughs) Mm. for sure. (laughs) One commonality I noticed amongst uh, some of your work, and you'll be able to see it here. This is your posting from July 26, 2019 for Lawn and Landscape uh, or Lawn Landscape. But the uh, inclusion of folks who don't have facial features. Um, And I was just really curious about this, uh, about that choice and if it meant anything specific. Yeah, um, it's a couple of reasons. One of them being that I just find faces to be one of the most difficult things to draw. Mm. Um, But in accepting some of my limitations, I've just found a way of working in which um, I can still very uh, easily tell stories that are compelling without focusing on one character necessarily. And that doesn't always work. For example, portraiture, it's pretty important that you are focusing on a face or on a known person. Um, but in other cases, I've just found a different way to create worlds and tell stories. Um, and in some ways, it's worked to my advantage mm. um, and it hasn't helped me back. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I was also again, it, it it might not be your intention, but I think maybe in some ways it allows people to connect and say, like, well, that could be me in that image because it isn't somebody mm-hmm. specific, um, and I could yeah. be I could be in that world that's being drawn. I think that's really interesting. Definitely, yeah. That's uh, one uh, more poetic way of putting it. <laughs> but yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Well, I saw, um, oh, why is this converting already? Um, that's interesting. Um, I saw you do a really cool self-portrait of yourself as a warrior that looks really badass. Um, and then a self-portrait of you that looks just like you. And I'm always just like, I don't understand how people are able to do that. Um, but I was wondering... In your other work, how much of you is in there? And again, like on the sort of like Marvel movie thing, if you ever hide like little Easter eggs or or parts of yourself in there that maybe people wouldn't know about. Mm -hmm. 
um, there's a range of intent <laughs> for sure. Um, for one thing, I often use myself as a face model. Um, unlike the great masters of old, I don't have a studio with models available as reference. So I use um, photos that I find online um, or I'll use myself as a model just to get a more accurate feel of how a body or a face might look. Um, I feel like if you ask a lot of illustrators, we all have a stash hidden somewhere of ridiculous reference photos we've taken of ourselves. Um, so in, sometimes it's intentional. For example, the Mulan um, book cover that I worked on, I think it was last year. I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> Time is <laughs> a blur these days. But yeah, um, I did kind of intentionally model, model herself um, after me because, I mean, how many chances are you going to get to be Mulan, right? Mm. <laughs> um, but in other, um, in other instances, it might kind of be a little unintentional where I have used myself as the face model and that kind of shows up. Um, I will be very wary of that if I'm doing a portrait of a specific person. Um, but in terms of other Easter eggs, sometimes I like to sneak my cat into illustrations <laughs> um, or some of my friends, or I will draw outfits that I wish I owned. Um, so there's definitely a lot of room for me to make things uh, personal to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, yeah, for some reason, I just made my myself the host on my other account here. I couldn't share for a second. Um, yeah, this one, I just, I don't have a question about this, but this is, I think, my my fam my favorite of, of your work. Um, I, again, just reminds me of like, you could write a whole story just about this picture. Um, mm -hmm. and yeah, it, it looks like something straight out of comics. Uh, I just really love it. Um, Thank you. well, I, I can tell you a little bit more about it. Oh yeah. That'd be awesome. That was a, a personal piece that I worked on, I think around the time of Halloween. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of the hungry ghost festival. Um, but it's in Chinese culture, there is a period of time. I think it's a seventh month of the lunar calendar where basically the gates of hell open and the dead are allowed back into um, our world. Um, and one tradition that I've seen before is floating um, lit lanterns down mm. um, a river or in a pond as a kind of way to guide spirits back home. Um, so I've always definitely been afraid of the concept of the Hungry Ghost Festival. So it's something that, um, evoked a lot of emotions for me and I thought it would be just a really cool, um, story to center an illustration around. Yeah, that is amazing. Um, especially like now, like there, there's so many awful things that are happening in this country. And one of those things is like, I don't know if you call it a surge in violence against um, Asian Americans, or maybe it's just that there's, there's been more awareness that it's been happening. And so now it's, it's, it's sort of front and center, but I don't know. I think the more that we can, we just had a whole discussion on this on my last episode, but the more that we can sort of educate people, um, about cultures and about people, maybe that will help to, to alleviate some of this stuff. So it, it is really cool, like going through your work to see certain things that are specific to certain cultures, um, mm -hmm. like what you just talked about, but also I'm about to pull up, um, the Dragon Boat Festival. So first of all, I, I I'm sorry to say I've never heard of Baiju. Um, 
I know, mm-hmm. I know Soju, um, but <laughs> through, through looking at your work, I learned about this, but I had also read this book uh, called When China Ruled the Seas, and it was all about the Ming Dynasty. Um, and you have these like just really wonderful dragon boats here in this image. And in that book, it was all about like the exploration and the trade that were done in these dragon boats. And again, we're not talking about an era, an era where, where people have the internet and media and, um, you know, vast education for everybody. So often where these boats would show up, people would see them on the horizon and think like actual dragons were coming. And that was like part of like the, the fear and intimidation of these boats, which to me is just, is uh, just a, like a wonderful piece of history. Um, but there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you from this. Uh, first, about the piece, um, what the Dragon Boat Festival is. And then you said in your comment for your description here, uh, I miss my mom's uh, songzi so much. So uh, mm-hmm. if you could talk about those three things. Yeah. Um, so first of all, this was a piece for Ming River Paijiu, which is a brand that I've been working with. Um, and they occasionally have um, just a need for illustrations that center around the brand, but also celebrate specific Chinese holidays. So this one was the one for the Dragon Boat Festival. Um, so I don't have that much clarity on the very specifics of the history behind it. Um, but I think there's like several different retellings of, you know, the myth that kind of uh, started the Dragon Boat Festival. Um, I believe, okay, you're testing me on. <laughs> oh, no, no, I'm sorry. I don't mean to. <laughs> Um, but I believe there was a specific person of importance and I don't remember their name or who they were who, um, drowned, but in, um, honoring that person's memory, um, of people of the village nearby would throw, um, which is kind of like a rice or glutinous rice steamed in um, bamboo leaves, I believe, um, filled with sometimes it's a sweet filling, sometimes it's savory filling. So they threw those into the river to try to keep the fish from um, devouring the person that they respected so much. Um, And that's become kind of a tradition and it's a a meal that people eat around this time. Um, And the dragon boat, also is a huge part of that as well. So I really just had a lot of creative freedom in terms of creating a piece that celebrated the festival. Um, the mountains in the background are actually just really big. Um, so that's a little Easter egg there. Um, yeah, it was just a really fun piece to work on. Yeah, I think that's so cool. I hadn't noticed that <laughs> until you started talking about it. Um, mm-hmm. There, you know, there's something somewhat similar in a few different cultures. Um, there's like a loud dish that is, I guess it is ba- like bamboo leaves or like banana leaves, and it is that like mm-hmm. triangular rice with like a almost like a custardy yogurty center. Um, but also, it's not exactly the same thing, but when I was in Taipei, maybe this might sound strange to some people, but like often when I was hungry, there's, there's so many convenience stores in Taipei. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. And I miss them so much. <laughs> yeah. And like, that's where I would eat breakfast. Um, or even like if I wanted a snack and you can get, it's a triangular, um, it's similar. It's rice, but it's it's seaweed on the outside, and in the middle you can get like chicken or, or tuna or something like that. But um, that's what that was making me think of. Also, <laughs> mm-hmm. I really loved this piece too that you had. Um, it was one of the first things you ever posted, and it was about uh, foods from from your travels. And you know, like there's the, the pretzel in Berlin, and what looks like uh, rice rolls from Hong Kong. Uh, but again. Taipei and I believe that's stinky tofu if I'm yes. if I'm not 
<laughs> if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, I just, um, I love this image and like, yeah, I could see this framed and, and, and put up in, in kitchens around the world. Um, yeah, this is just really wonderful. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it was, this was definitely, um, a passion project for me. Um, I've traveled a lot. I mean, not so much recently, um, but I definitely connect memories with food. Um, mm. and food also is a very important thing in my family. It's one of the ways that we express our love for each other. So it means a lot to me and it was just a way to pay tribute to some of my favorite cities around the world. Do you still have a familial connection to, to Hong Kong or Taipei? Is there anybody from your family that's still there? Yeah. Um, so my entire uh, side of my mom's family is in Taiwan. Um, some of them are in Taipei. Some of them are in the South. Um, my dad's family are all in Hong Kong as well. My dad is currently in Hong Kong as, as well as his family. Um, but my mom is still in Singapore teaching. Um, oh, wow. So we're kind of spread out and that definitely makes visiting family very time consuming and expensive. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're spread out. I'm going to pull up. Um, I mean, obviously one of the greatest uh, IPs or franchises and you know, one of the largest and most well-known is, is Star Wars. Um, I won't ask you to to date yourself with with how old you are, but I'm assuming like this is. I mean, honestly, no matter what generation you're from, going back to the 70s, they keep making new stories. So I guess really it's it's known to to each of like the last three generations, and it's been part of so many people's childhoods. I, I don't like. I'm trying to to put together in my mind like how it must feel to to grow up watching something and seeing something so important to a lot of people, something that's influenced so many people's creativity, something that's brought a lot of people joy, something that, you know, is a memory to their childhood. And then becoming part of that and almost like becoming part of that canon. Um, is this... Is this extra special for you in any way? Like, can can you put uh, can you put to words like what being part of this universe now uh, meant to you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm of the generation that watched the prequels first. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and then I watched the original trilogy after that, and I've really enjoyed the newest movies that have come along and are still going. Um, so it definitely meant a lot to be asked to do this. Um, I had to read the initial email several times <laughs> and I waited a little bit before replying. Um, it was actually, um, I was coming out of watching a Star Wars film in the theaters when I got the email, like it had come in while I was in the theaters. So that was oh. quite a coincidence. Um, it was terrifying to be asked to do something that would be part of the Star Wars IP. Um, but it was so thrilling. Um, and I'm very grateful that my uh, entry into this world was to be in a project led by women and amongst other female and non-binary illustrators. So it was very special. Um, and I got to work with the author again in The Jedi Mind, which came out last year. So hopefully it will be a continued relationship, but it, it's been very special. Yeah. And when I look at your, your body of work and the publications that your work has appeared in, I mean, it's incredible. Um, you know, when I was scrolling through everything from like Oprah Magazine to, to the New York Times to the Washington Post like formats and, um, you know, businesses that, that get eyes on it from, from all around the world. Like it's, it's really incredible. Like I always think about this, like going back to when my guest was a child, like likely you were drawing a lot and, um, just going from a kid who's doodling in a sketchbook to somebody who has like this really beautiful illustration on the front page of the largest newspaper 
in the world. Um, do you, despite all that, do you still have, I don't know if you want to say like a bucket list type of a, type of a, a job, like do you, is there someone that you want to represent or a publication you want to get into or a world that you want to, to illustrate that you haven't done yet? Um, I try not to be too specific and mm. get my hopes up in a way. Um, I would love to branch out into different types of illustrator illustrations. Um, like I said, some kind of involvement in film, maybe doing alternate posters would be really fun. Um, these days I've been doing a lot more um, book covers, which I love because I love to read. Um, and I would love to continue doing that. Um, I'd also love, and I've, I've had some experience doing it so far, but just, uh, especially in book covers um, and in other jobs, just telling stories um, that mean a lot to me is very important and always makes my job a lot more special. And in terms of different types of illustrations, I have a dream job that's actually coming out next month. I illustrated a comic cover for the first time ever. I got to work with Dark Horse, which was incredible. Um, so dreams are coming true. I definitely still have really big dreams um, that I'm hoping to make one day, but um, not trying to be too specific. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's cool. Um, so I, I work in the world of education um, and often, you know, the, the first thing to get cut when budgets are crunched are arts programs. Uh, I'm painting with a bit of a wide brush here, but I think it is fair to say that across the country, often sports gets a really big push and a big focus and a lot of the, the money that comes into schools. I, I am not an artist myself, but when I was in high school, I had a teacher named Tim Needles who's still teaching there. And now like, it's crazy for me to think I'm probably like 10 years older than he was at the time he taught me. But his classes were so important to, to my friends and I at school. Um, for the kids who were photographers or, or illustrators or painters, obviously it gave them a space to explore their work. But for me, it gave me a place where I just felt like I could be me and that was okay and that was normal. And he didn't, you know, give all the props to the kids doing sports and things like that. And I'm not trying to say there's anything wrong with sports, but very long way of saying he provided a space for me to be like, oh, it's, it's cool for me to be me. There's nothing wrong with that. And I can pursue my interests within this setting that he created. Um, was there anyone in your life that helped to really foster your interest in this or say to you like, yes, you can do this instead of, Hey, that's not a realistic, uh, job. You should become an accountant or something like that. <laughs> um, that's really special that you had that kind of experience growing up. And I also agree that, you know, just in creative spaces a lot more often than, others, you're allowed to, like you said, be who you are and express and explore yourself in ways that, you know, in other spaces, you're not allowed. And I feel that that's very special and oftentimes not appreciated in terms of, you know, funding and the government, um, mm. even though, especially during, during the pandemic, we've seen how drawn people are to different types of art in terms of comfort, in terms of escapism, um, it's incredibly important. Um, and in terms of people who have helped push me onto the path that I am now, uh, my parents, for one, have always been supportive and have allowed me to explore my creativity in different ways. I grew up dancing um, and were, I was in a lot of art programs growing up. And they have always supported me and um, accepted the fact that I wanted to pursue this. Um, and hopefully I've been able to show that 
it was worth it for me in the end. Um, I also had a very special art teacher um, in middle and high school, which is interesting because when I moved to Singapore, I went to a school that was K through 12. So you could have like longer relationships with uh, the educators there. Hmm. Um, So I had an art teacher who was incredibly supportive of me and helped me to figure out what schools to apply to when I was first applying to art schools. So I'm very appreciative. Mr. Witter, if he ever hears this. (laughs) Cool, cool. Um, I think this was you, Christina. I do a lot of like, Mm -hmm. yeah, I go down rabbit holes all day long of, of people's work. But I thought you had done an interview on... And, and what a creative idea, like uh, on your workspace. And it seems like the the person interviewing you had done like a series of that talking about artist workspaces. Um, I, I live in this almost, kind of like a studio apartment in Brooklyn, as like a lot of us do, like our spaces are, are pretty small. But I have these dreams, like I have this like dream desk in my head and I can picture it and I can picture the wall above the desk with like all my, all my creative stuff there to help like foster and get the, the neurons firing in, in my brain. Um, I was wondering about that for you, if, if there is a specific workspace and if you're, if you're able to be creative anywhere, like, can you just pick up your work on, on a flight and, and just start going or do you need a certain setting? Yeah. Um, I, I did talk about my workspace in an interview recently, so I don't think you were imagining that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I work in a corner of a one bedroom apartment that I share with my husband. Um, it's definitely enough space for me because I work digitally, which I transition to both for convenience of time, but also not having a huge pile up of physical materials. Mm. Um, so I am completely mobile and pre pandemic, I was working from home anyways. And kind of a way that that has changed is now I don't really have the choice to be working at home. I kind of have to, <laughs> which is definitely a very different headspace to be in. Um, so yes, I can. Um, and I've worked during, um, trips abroad. I've done work on airplanes, though it is kind of tricky with turbulence. (laughs) Um, But yes, I have a mobile workspace um, and I have a little space in my apartment that I quite like because I'm near a large window and we have a tree that that frames it. So it's really nice. Um, If we wanted to talk dream workspaces, (laughs) I would love to have a workspace with tons of windows that overlooks a garden that I could go into um, during breaks, but we'll work towards that. You know, there's a lot of limitations in Brooklyn, New York. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. Um, (laughs) Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll ask this last one, but um, I think it's always, always hard to give advice. I mean, part of this is that you have just like really like undeniable talent and creativity. But I always think about like a lot of the, the musicians I listen to, to me are like the best bands in the world. Right. And they often go on to, to break up and to not see that thing become, or the band become the thing that sustains them, you know, economically throughout life. And there's, there's so many talented people that, you know, throughout history that sort of like disappear and not to be too poetic, but like disappear in the, in the sands of time and like never get discovered or seen. Uh, and part of that to me is just like, just tragic, right? <laughs> it's like when we lose out on, um, or like the, the wider populace loses out on something that's like really beautiful. But do you, you know, again, to that kid who, who's sketching in a sketchbook somewhere, do you have any sort of advice for that kid in, in terms of um, either work ethic or, or keeping at it? Um, because, again, like I, I would imagine you were that, that kid once. Yeah, um, 
I can speak to my specific experiences being a commercial illustrator. Um, it's a special recipe of talent, but also luck. Um, I think one of the things is that you have to keep in mind if you are looking to be a commercial illustrator is wanting it enough um, because it comes down to a lot of work, you know, and as is the same in a lot of different industries, being talented is not often enough to get you anywhere. Um, you have to want it enough and that can mean getting a part-time job to support yourselves before you're making enough money or it's putting in the hours to create a portfolio to endlessly reach out to people who might hire you um, and just spending a lot of time on perfecting your craft. Um, and in terms of longevity, something that I've had to learn kind of the hard way in terms of burnout is it's important to find a way of working, um, maybe a style or a way of adapting to clients needs where you are still able to enjoy yourself because once mm. you lose that it's I feel like it's a slippery slope to just saying goodbye to the industry um, I feel like it's at least for me it's been very important to still enjoy what I do um, and finding a way to create work that I still love mm. so it's, it's it's a lot that goes into it um it's definitely a lot of hard work and perseverance, but to that little kid in the sketchbook, if you want it enough, you can make it happen. I love it. Um, you know, I've been using your, your Instagram account to, to pull up pictures that we've been referencing. So everyone listening, you can go to whatever your, whatever player you're listening this to this in and you all get a direct link to that. Uh, but where else should we send people? people to follow you. It sounds like you've got some cool stuff going up this year. Um, and that comic, yeah. that sounds awesome. So how can people follow yeah. along with, uh, with your work? Um, you can either just, uh, visit my website, which is christina-chung.com. Um, and I keep my social platforms up to date. So that's just Instagram and, and Twitter, uh, at Christina Illos. Um, and that's where you can keep up with me and what I'm working on. Awesome. Uh, well, again, thanks for doing this. Um, again, I love your work. It allows me to to sort of daydream into other worlds while I'm at work <laughs> and scrolling through. Um, so, yeah, uh, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. All right, Voyagers, that's a wrap on episode 220 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thank you so much, Christina. We were talking for maybe a month or so to try to get our timing set up. So I'm gl so glad that we were able to do so. Um, I find her stuff just so creative and I'm always inspired by my guests who do really cool and amazing things. So thank you so much, Christina. Thank you to all of you Voyagers as always for tuning in. I greatly appreciate all of you. It's been a good year so far and it's been a great month for the podcast. Uh, we're about halfway through the month, I guess, but I've done a lot and I've got a lot more stuff booked. So expect lots of more episodes to come. And like I said in the intro, expect some more video stuff. I'm also going to try to take a little bit more video from when I travel around. Consulted with my brother recently who works, uh, um, maybe I shouldn't say, but he works for a news outlet and um, gave me some advice on, on cameras and things like that. So we have a cool trip next weekend to visit somebody who lives in a very special home that they built. So maybe I'll try to get some, some footage from that. So the, there is a YouTube account for TV TV and it's the same as anything else. If you just put in the voyages of Tim Vetter, that'll come up. All right, folks, one final time. Thank you. And please, please, please take care of each other. I will catch you very soon. <laughs>